Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Tomorrow Today Beauty, Indiana Rurik. If you have worked in the fashion, beauty or lifestyle media space in Australia in the last decade, you know the name Indiana Rurik. Indy started her own social media management agency, Simply Social Management, in 2015 when she was just 22 years old. I first met her a little under 10 years ago and she's always struck me as being ahead of the curve. The concept of social media management was so new in 2015 that the majority of people still thought that it was just a fad and dismissed it. But at 22, her gut instinct was so strong and, as we now know, was absolutely correct. Indiana is one of those people who works across multiple time zones and will often have her phone in one hand and her laptop balancing open in the other, realising how much time, though, that she was spending surrounded by screens. Indy's curiosity around blue light exposure really peaked about four years ago when blue light eyewear kind of hit the mainstream. This prompted her to start looking into what blue light was really doing to the skin. And upon discovering just how much it can speed up the photo aging process, she went searching for a solution and she couldn't find one. This week, following three and a half years of research and development, Indiana has launched Tomorrow Today Beauty with a single meticulously formulated skew, the Tech Protect Serum, formulated to both shield and repair the skin from blue light exposure and designed to look after tomorrow's face today. In this conversation, Indiana shares advice to business owners on why it's worth pushing through the hard parts when your brand is in its infancy, what our devices are actually doing to our skin, and her insider tips on making the algorithms work for you. Indy, I've known you for, I, I think it's a decade if, if my math serves me. So this is going to be particularly fun for me, but I want to start right at the very beginning, what is your earliest memory of beauty? You know what? I actually asked my mum this. Yeah. Because I have a shocking memory as a child. And my mum said to me that it would have been when I was about five years old, I decided to grab all of her lipsticks, put them in the sink and wash them for her. Oh, that's very kind of you. So kind. I bet she would have loved that. Loved it. (laughs) So she said that was definitely your earliest gravitation towards beauty interesting how old do you think you were she said I was five are you like a clean freak now absolutely not I'm either very clean or I'm very messy and there's no in between ah (laughs) I wonder what the correlation is there you were just trying to make the products better yeah I think so maybe that's what it is that's what it is (laughs) you've worked in media and comms for as long as I've known you but when you were little what did you think you might grow up to be? When I was younger I look at I look back at it now and I'd always used to set my bedroom up as an office (laughs) 
I don't know if you remember those blow-up inflatable couches, Jennifer. Yeah, of course. So I had an aqua blue one. Oh, amazing. And I actually make people make appointments with me. Love that. And I'd run my bedroom like it was an office. In no way is this surprising. I know. And then you look at it now and nothing has changed. It's just on a bigger level. I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but the colour of the couch that I'm thinking of is the same colour as something that happens to be sitting in front of you at this moment. Yes. <laughs> Full circle. You studied public relations and professional communication at RMIT. I think that's probably where we first crossed paths. Where did you think that your studies would take you? I know you've been working sort of primarily in the fashion, beauty, that kind of space for a really long time. Is that where you'd always pictured yourself or did you see yourself in PR in kind of a wider sense? Do you know, it's funny, like I always didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I knew that I loved the creative industry. I knew that I mm-hmm. loved helping others and helping other businesses. Um, I've always kind of had that role as, and people still call me this to that day as Andy from Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. They'll often see me like running around with clothes in hand, coffees, <laughs> Five cameras, two laptops. I've you didn't need the training on how to pronounce Gabbana though. So no. <laughs> you already had a leg up. And I think actually when I first met you, Dem, I had the full fringe going on. Yeah, definitely. I really embraced yeah. that role. But I guess when I was um, studying at university, I came across a stylist called Virginia Dowser mm-hmm. and she used to work under Stella McCartney. Yeah. And she kind of took me under her wing and guided me um, into the kind of behind the scenes mm. path, which I absolutely loved. And I fell in love with that whole creative process of behind the scenes, how a set comes together, the protocols of, you know, arriving to shoot on time you don't leave the set until everybody's left the set. Mm-hmm. Like she kind of she instilled those foundations in me at a very young age. I would have been about like, I don't know, like 18 or 19. Yeah. That's so make or break as well because I think if you were a person that were drawn to fashion and beauty purely for the gloss of it to then see what happens at a day on set and see how early you need to be there and that you need to be the last to leave. That is, and there's not, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, but that's kind of the the turning point where a lot of people would say, actually, this is not the life that I want for myself. So I think it's very telling that that's the memory that made you go, okay, this is where I want to be. It's exactly what I wanted to be doing. And it's always that it's 10% is glam and the yeah. 90% is a lot of hard work. Mm. But you get to do incredible things. You get to meet really creative people. And I guess you're inspired every single day to like be better, work harder and challenge your creativity. I was going to ask you what you thought it was about fashion and beauty that drew you in. But I guess it's that part of it. It's behind the scenes. It's the work. It's meeting people and it's getting creative. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's a melting pot. You founded your own business, Simply Social, in 2015 when you were 22? I just turned 21. 21. Oh, my God. No, I just turned 22, actually. Yeah. Wild. What led Wild you... when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Particularly because I'm like, 2015, so 
three years ago. <laughs> Not the case. What led you to that point? Where had you been working prior to that and what led you to want to create something of your own? So when I just turned 22, I was still in university. Yeah. I was doing – my parents grow Australian native flowers. Yes. And they operate at the wholesale flower markets and I would go to the flower markets at 9pm at night. I'd work for them till about four in the morning. I'd come oh home, God. I'd sleep for a little bit and then I'd go to uni. So It's my nightmare as someone yeah, that really loves to sleep. It's just what you do if you've grown up in a family business mm. and they need an extra hand if it's Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, mm. those really busy times of year, that's when I was just doing it. And that's actually how I met Virginia Dowser. Oh. Through there as well, she was picking up flowers for a set too. But what that business taught me was how to understand the customer. Yeah. And at the time at university, I was actually doing the business courses at TAFE oh. um, at RMIT there. And I was implementing everything that I was learning, how to yeah. build a website, how to connect with the customer. But I was in that environment where I was learning, you know, why they're picking up that type of flower. Why are they coming to buy from my parents? Mm. Because my parents offered something really unique that yeah. no one else had and they had really great customer service. Mm. Everyone my mum has interacted with, has she has a really great relationship with. And it's just you're subconsciously learning and you're taking all of that in. So back to your question, <laughs> we got to almost the end of university and um, – I had about three to five clients under my belt by then Yeah, that had just come through word of mouth. Virginia was actually one of those people who introduced me to my first client that was stocked in about 60 retailers. Mm. Had no idea what I was going into pitch, but I just <laughs> knew that I loved social media and I knew that I could transform their business pretty quickly mm-hmm. through social media. So I just, um, I went for it. I just launched Simply Social and I've not looked back. God, it was the right time for it too because 2015. Yeah, it was. Everyone had um, PR agencies. Yes. No one had a social media agency. Yeah. Everyone was getting really great publicity but they weren't communicating that publicity through social media. So mm. I really tapped into that. What were some of the lessons that you picked up during that time when your business really was in its infancy that you find you're still applying to your work now? I'd say it really comes back to the basics. Yep. Work hard. Be nice to people <laughs> yep. and just don't stuff it up. Yeah. <laughs> really. Um, it, it's just those core principles of it and just be true to who you are. Mm. I think that's the main thing. That's so true across any industry as well because if you walk away from an interaction knowing that you have been kind and you've done your best, if it doesn't pan out quite the way you'd imagined, at least you know, okay, well, I did what I could do. Exactly. And I wasn't an asshole. Exactly. <laughs> you can get pretty far without being an asshole. Like obviously yeah. there are those times where you have to be quite firm and it's something that I've learned in developing Massive this difference business. though between just being firm or yes. I mean letting people know what, you're, what you want and what your boundaries are. Exactly. And my, being an asshole. Exactly. <laughs> very, very my, um, my mum has always taught me to be firm but fair. Love that. Yeah. And that's something that always comes back to me when I'm negotiating business deals or I'm instructing people on how to do things. Mm. There's a way to demand it with being respectful. And yeah. I think as women, oh yeah, it's a big thing we have at the moment. Mm. It's 
hard to be taken seriously. It's like, no, you actually are a successful businesswoman. It yeah. is okay to be firm and make decisions. And then on on the flip side of that, I, as you know, I am pretty firm, but I'm I, there's like a little voice in my head even now that is fearful that behind the scenes people might be saying like, oh, Jem's pretty difficult or she's hard to work with. But then I have to remind myself, no, 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 you laying out a boundary and saying I will do this at this time and that's that's just what's feasible. If people take that as difficult, then I think that's not respect. A lot you can do. I yeah. think you're demanding yeah. respect. Yeah. And I think you've been in this game long enough now to demand that. And people should people should not forget <laughs> that as well. And the people that actually know you know that you're not like that. At the yeah. end of the day you're running a business. It's just the we've all got that little voice. What, I mean, this is probably a bit of crossover here, but what advice would you give to anyone? You started your business very young, but anyone of any age who might be looking to start something of their own? I guess if you've got that feeling inside of you Mm -hmm. that you just want to start your own business, you just have to go for it and you have to just follow your gut at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And the hardest thing is you're going to be faced with so many challenges and the first one to two years are the hardest. Yes. You have to keep pushing through and then you'll take a step back like I step back now 10 years on and I'm like, look at how much I have done. Mm -hmm. You can keep going. You can handle whatever the world throws at you and you're always going to have those days, those weeks, those times where sometimes it is hard to keep going but that's when you just have to surround yourself with really positive people Mm. who know that you have it inside of you to keep going. From where I sit, you have definitely carved kind of a niche for yourself within these really visual industries, obviously fashion and beauty, but floristry, as we've touched on, interiors, your clients have always had a real design focus. How would you say... We're getting into the beauty of it all now. How would you say that your work across those fields has influenced your approach to and your relationship with beauty? Do you know what? It's actually because I've had that background experience when it's come to developing my own product, mm. I have become even more OCD than I <laughs> ever thought I was. Yeah, I can attest I to look that. At Every single little detail, I look at how the product makes you feel when you look at it, how what it's like when you pick it up to touch it, what's that first impression. And it's the same with art. It's the same with flowers. Mm. You pick up a flower, it has a scent. Yes. How does that scent make you feel? Different flowers mean different things. Different pieces of artworks with different mediums mean different things. There's layers to that process. Um, and that's, I think, what the journey has been like. There's different layers to making this process turn into a product. Mm. Let's talk about the product. This is so exciting. A peek behind the curtain. I've You told me about this so long ago and I tried the lab sample probably six months ago. But let's talk Tomorrow Today Beauty. How long ago did you first begin ruminating on the idea of creating a physical product? It's probably about three and a half years ago. Yeah. So that'd be in the thick of work from home. (laughs) I know. I think it was actually during COVID. Mm. And I think I was just, uh, look, I've spent almost 10 years now 
working day in, day out in front of a screen and not just one screen. Mm. I will normally have my desktop, my laptop, my phone, my iPad and then it was really like at night time, you know, when you're like watching Netflix or you just want to switch off and you have your layer of moisturiser on Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, surely this screen is doing something (laughs) bad to my skin. Yeah. Yeah. And um, turns out it actually really was. Mm. It was causing hyperpigmentation in the skin, increased redness. It was actually ageing my skin. Mm. So I had to do something about it and I actually was searching online for a product that I could use Mm. because I thought, you know what, I go to work every day. I really want to feel confident when I go to work. I would love what I do but I really want to protect my skin whilst doing it and better yet repair the damage that this screen has (laughs) caused. (laughs) So that's how Tomorrow Today Beauty was born and my first product is Tech Protect and it's designed to protect and repair your skin against blue light. Mm. And it really is something that there's a gap for because, yes, we hear about blue light exposure in beauty but it has always, I mean, certainly from my perspective as a consumer, it's always kind of been an afterthought, whereas this is its primary, I mean, benefit, this is why it exists. It's a whole new category. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. There tends to be two different camps with brand founders. Some decide they want to start a brand. Maybe they've caught the startup bug and then they go out and look for a gap in the market. There are others who will have an idea for a specific product. They'll identify that gap, decide they want to fill it, and then the brand comes kind of secondary. Am I right in saying that in your case it was very much the idea that came to you first? Yeah, so the idea definitely came to me first. Um, We're in a digitally driven generation at the moment and I had to make a product that was suitable for this generation. Mm -hmm. You and I have had conversations behind the scenes around blue light exposure and what it is, but in as much or as little detail as you wish, what is blue light? What is it doing to the skin? So you've got your UVA, your UVB, but then there's another section past that when you look on the light scale called HEV light, Mm -hmm. which stands for high energy visible light exposure. And that is what blue light is. Mm -hmm. So that's coming from your computer screens, your TV screens, your phones, anywhere you look where there's a screen. And what it can actually do is it can speed up the aging process, um, hyperpigmentation, photooxidization. There's lots of damaging effects caused from blue light. You're launching with one product, Tech Protect. Talk me through it. So Tech Protect. It's like my little baby. Not so little anymore. It's actually grown up. It is so beautiful. It really is. It is a daily use ultra lightweight serum and it's been designed with your future face in mind. It's going to shield from the effects of blue light and it's also going to repair your skin while you work. That's so exciting. How did you go about bringing it to life? It's one thing to have the idea but then there are so many steps involved in creating something physical, what we've got in front of us now. How did you find the right manufacturers? How did you find the right packaging and so forth? It was a journey. Yeah. I went through so many chemists Mm -hmm. and lots of them said no to me. And it was just a lot of persistence and perseverance to get one Mm -hmm. to say yes. 
and I explained what I do for work and how I couldn't find something to help this problem. Mm-hmm. So I finally found one that agreed and the, because you have to think of it too. So you're going to these people, right? I'm a young female, <laughs> yep. right? I'm a young female and they're probably thinking, how is she going to afford this? Yeah. What does she yeah. do? Did she just roll out of bed one day and have this idea yeah. that it's going <laughs> to happen? And yeah, basically I did. <laughs> I did roll out of bed one day. I was like, you know what? Let's make a product to solve this solution. Mm-hmm. So it was a process and then I kind of got like a year into it and then I had all these big ideas like for packaging. I had so many like amazing ideas for this. I had pulled apart so many different bottles of serum like I just went crazy and I like spread them all out of my kitchen table and I was like I hate how this lid works Mm -hmm. I hate how you can't refill this product I hate that this product had like a little bit of plastic on the inside like I broke down so many different bottles yeah um and then I just got almost too far into it to give up so any challenges that arose I just had to find a way to solve them how long did that process take from, I know you kind of came up with the idea three and a half years ago, but how long was it from those first meetings through to launch? So probably four but, years. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a, a very long time because you go through like the testing process, you go through what ingredients you want and there's also, I was quite specific with what I wanted to have in the product like I wanted it to be vegan I wanted to yep. be formulated blended and filled within Australia mm. so you have to find the right people who can meet those needs and what I really learned along the way if you get no for an answer you're speaking to the wrong person and I so yeah. believe oh, in that's that good advice. because a lot of people will turn to me and say oh you know you're a perfectionist um you know you're tri- you're striving for the impossible <laughs> here and I said no it can be done mm. if you're we can't find who can do it you know, we need to find someone who can. There is someone out there who can do it. In kind of a similar vein, I love talking to founders who are launching or have launched with a single skew because on one hand there is this idea of doing one thing, specialising it, specialising in it, sorry, doing it really well. And then on the other hand, it's kind of an extra level of pressure on that launch because the entire brand reputation really hinges on that one product do you have if you can share do you have plans to eventually expand the line or is your focus that singular skew for now my focus at the moment is to be the leaders in developing products with blue light protection and repair yeah and i want to be the global leader in that Mm -hmm. without naming names i know you've had meetings with some really really incredible beauty industry leaders over the past nine or so months What advice can you give to brand founders in any field when it comes to getting your brand and your product into the hands of the right people? Okay, so something I did differently when launching this business was I actually spoke to quite a few people before bringing this product to life and that to me was an absolute game changer. So I started presenting the product before it was even ready to be made Mm. so I had like a first bit of a prototype going um, and it's interesting like you speak to different people and they all have different ideas and different um, different visions of how it could come to life so for me like being customer focused is the most important thing so what do people what's going to make someone pick up a product off a shelf 
my focus was also making this a retail friendly brand. Yeah. So what's it like when someone comes into store? What color is going to attract them? So you'll notice, Gem, it's a beautiful like teal color. Mm-hmm. If you go into any retail store, there is no product this color. Yes. And it's actually absolutely um, correct. You know the CMYK color coding? So this kind of goes back to that whole technology vibes as well. So So there's quite a lot of thought that's gone into it. And the TT in um, pharmaceutical terms stands for two. So this is like two pumps. And so two pumps will do your like face, neck and hands as well. And the bottle is it's been designed to be refillable as well. So we'll have refills coming soon. Um, because oh, I think that's so really clever. important these days yeah. and it's such a beautiful bottle so you don't want to throw it out. No. And, oh, my God, the process of this bottle yeah. to make it like last has been a challenge but we, we've got there. So back to your question is I would like I would get focus groups in mm-hmm. of girls who work in offices or who work in the social media industry and I would say to them what I'm doing and I get them to like pick up the bottle. I get them to try the product. The main thing for me was that it didn't pull when it was like underneath yes. your makeup as well. So yeah. you'll notice that it just glides onto your mm-hmm. skin. That was one of the first things I noticed. Yeah, I think you said to me, what did you say to me about it? Oh, I, it, just that it was silky. And the fact that it doesn't like peel under makeup was a game changer because a lot of serums, I mean, they do. And then like I've worked out ways to make sure that they don't but I just I haven't had to put that much thought or effort into this like it just mm. it just works it's so hydrating yeah. as well and it's, it's got lactic acid in it too and yes it actually has Australian native flowers in there too so oh. it's a really full circle moment for me and Love that. that when it's been mixed with um slibberine which is one of the key ingredients mm. is what does that protection yeah. and repair amazing Given that you are a social media and PR guru, it would be remiss of me not to get your take on social strategy. This is probably a broad question, but how do you ensure that each of the brands that you work on has its own individual kind of a personality online and how do you ensure that the content feels really fresh and relevant when the algorithms are kind of constantly changing and the landscape overall do you know what? i have this discussion almost weekly at the moment mm-hmm. and social media moves at such a rapid pace so it's really the challenge is brands get quite overwhelmed with what platforms do i go on yeah. how do i keep up with it you have to go back to your core values as a brand and you have to be quite tough yeah too so you have to go before you post it be like is this true to my brand is this true to my customer? Am I posting? The biggest thing is you have to post different types of content on different platforms. Yes. That's what it's been designed for. Mm. And you need to, if you're going to be on that platform, be on that platform. You have to <laughs> utilise every single component that that platform has to offer you, which is overwhelming. And that's why you need a social media person. But this is even <laughs> a conversation that I'm having on my end as someone who is creating content, there will be brands that will come with a pitch and they'll say, oh, I think it's purely from the cost side to get things down. They would say, can you produce a a TikTok and then also share that on your reels and vice versa? And I'm like, the 
content is different. What hits mm. on one platform doesn't hit on the other. And that's where they get it wrong. Yeah. That's where they get it wrong, Gemma. They, and also another thing too is when they come to you with a brand guide of how they want you to interpret the product on yeah. your feed, that is so detrimental to a brand. Yep. Because it just – the consumers are so smart. Mm-hmm. They're so smart. So you need to like, you know – Stay true to you. Mm-hmm. I had to send an email to that effect this morning just saying I, I get it but just trust me, my audience are onto it. Like they Exactly. They it know. needs to be on brand. Yeah. It has to always be on brand. Mm. If it's not on brand, it's not happening. How have you found, if at all, that that process has differed now that it's your brand? Has that been a learning experience for you coming at social strategy from the client end. Can I just say, it has been so fun to be oh, the I client. I I'm like, wow. I love that. I love being the client. Yeah. It is just so refreshing. But what I've learned from servicing clients mm. for so long now is that you need to trust the experts. So yeah. people trust me in what I do because I am good at what I do mm. without standing. No, no, you are. That's This is what I do. Yeah. Social media strategies is what. I do and yes. I do it really well. So people come to me and they trust what I do and they I've got to a point where they go, you know what, you just do it, you know what you're doing. And that's what I've really lent into in this process. It's like if someone is telling you that that isn't the best direction to go down because of X, Y and Z, if they have the factual evidence to back it up, trust I will them. listen to them. Yeah. Because it's going to save me a headache in the long run mm-hmm. and that's why you're engaging with these people as well, and I've also learnt to um, I've really learnt to trust people mm. on this process too. Yeah. And it's funny, like you treat people really well, they will do their job a hundred and ten times better, mm-hmm. and they will come to you with new ideas, or they'll come to you with new ingredients that you should be, yeah. you know, leaning into. And that it, that goes back to being nice and being kind mm. to people and being firm but fair. <laughs> I was going to ask what you think the biggest or the most common mistake is that brands tend to make when it comes to their social media, but I think you've kind of just touched on it. You've just got to trust the people that <laughs> are telling you. Yeah, you do. This and is just what's going to work. Don't copy other brands. Yeah, it's that's so a big obvious. one. Like I, you yeah. know, often I'll get people come to me and say, "Hey, we love the look and feel of this brand." It's like little do they know that we've actually developed that brand presence yeah. for the last five or six years, and that took a lot of work. So you're better off, and that works for them. Mm-hmm. You're better off doing something really different. But in saying that, like launching um, tomorrow today beauty on TikTok and on Instagram, yes. gosh, I have been like an overbearing mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we need to get this right. Mm. But then at the end of the day, like, um, you know, you just have to lean into what you know. Yeah, Indy, you have been a part of the beauty media landscape for about a decade now, over the last few years, what would you say are some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the industry? I think people are a lot more clued on now as to where things come from, where things are made. You can't fake that. Mm -hmm. People will always want to know where something's come from, Mm -hmm. who made it, who's behind the brand. They're they're very, like, captive audience nowadays. Mm Mm-hmm. And what changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years? 
I think when it comes to changes, I think if you've made a good product or you created a good service, it has longevity beyond its years. Yeah. So when you think about it in that perspective, your product or your service will mm. be able to adapt to the rapid rate at which society is changing or which the media landscape mm. is changing at because you're staying true to who you are and what products or services you produce. So I think, yeah, if you kind of put a backflip on it, mm. it comes down to what your core values are at the end of the day. And obviously things are going to keep on changing, but yeah. you need to learn how to stay consistent within the chaos and you need to st- you need to learn and what I've learned is to stay calm when it's chaotic. Yeah. If you can stay calm when it's chaotic, you'll be fine. And, mm-hmm. you know, people do often say to me, you are quite a calm person. But on the inside, I have <laughs> 20,000 tabs open in my brain. Yeah. But it all gets done at the end of the day. Mm. It really does. Indy, my final question, what is next for Tomorrow Today Beauty? Jem, there's so many exciting things in the works. The fact that I have a physical product sitting here is um, just... It's wild. And I just, I, you know, need to not forget that this is actually a product that is here and it's here to solve a solution. It's here to you rewind screen time. It is. And not only that, it's I just want to give people confidence when they go to work every day that they're protecting and repairing their skin while they work and... Always like to say we're looking after tomorrow's face today. That was Indiana Rurik, founder of Tomorrow Today Beauty, which you can find on Instagram at Tomorrow Today Beauty. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present.